we are going to be talking about new beginnings. Um, when I was praying about what to teach, the Lord gave me the chapter like months ago. Um, we'll be looking at John 21, which is the last chapter in the Gospel of John. I just love God's Word. It's amazing. Um, but when I was praying about it, I was kind of like, it's a chapter that the Lord brought me to many times in my like early walk as I was struggling with a lot of different sin and just trying to submit it to the Lord. Um, he just continually brought me to that chapter, and I didn't necessarily always know why. And then when I was praying about it, and he said that one, um, I kind of held it loosely. I was like, all right, like I don't see how it applies quite yet. Yesterday I woke up after preparation and things before work, and I looked at the date, and it was, I mean, it's August, right? It's August 7th. And I thought, oh, well, tomorrow's the 8th. And, um, and I don't know if you guys know, but chapter 21 is Jesus appears to his disciples before he gets ascended into heaven. It's his third appearance, and it's, it focuses on the restoration of Peter. And that's who we'll be considering today um, with, with Jesus in focus, but we're going to use Peter to get there. Uh, it's really about making what was old and new and restoring Peter's walk with Christ. And uh, it's really about giving him a new beginning. And um, it's reason to believe that the number eight in the Bible stands for new beginnings. And so it's the eighth month of the year, the eighth day. And God told me to go to First John, or not First John, John 21, um, where Peter was given a new beginning. And the, just this last week, I had a bunch of brothers, a couple reach out, and they've just been um, struggling with some rolling around in the mud, like some filth that um, the Lord saves us out of, but for some reason, our weakness, we go back in. And so uh, it's just been a burden on my heart. Um, the, the church gets so ripped off, and, uh, and not enough of us are walking in freedom. So on that note, let's turn to John 12 first, before John 21, if you're okay with that. Has anyone seen the movie Inception? Who is the director? Ozzy knows. Christopher, is it Christopher Nolan? Yeah, Christopher Nolan. So he always shows the movie right at the ending first, and then it like kind of entices you. It's like, okay, what is this about? And then he like goes back to the beginning and tells it. And we're going to do that today. We're going to go to John 12, starting in... Let's see, I got it on here. Verse 20, and this is uh, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and there's a festival he's at. It says that, and there was certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, or want, or asked him, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip comes and tells Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answers them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. 
If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Before this cause came I to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Okay, now we can go to John 21. Just think about that, and we'll bounce back. We'll circle back. <clears throat> John 21. Um, it's pretty rad. Like I said, we're going to be considering Peter. Jesus' disciple at this time. He's not yet an apostle. Before he was a fisherman. And uh, when Jesus told him to follow him, um, he said, I'll make you a fisher of men. And so we, we were going to be thinking about Peter this morning, pretty much this whole time, and just considering his character, considering his history with Jesus, and considering like where it brings him here in this chapter, and then where it's going to bring him further into Acts and into his letters and into the workings. Um, after these things, in verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the wise, or on this manner, showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called twin, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They say to him, we're coming with you. They went forth and entered into a ship or boat immediately that night, and they caught nothing. So Jesus is risen from the dead already. He's already appeared to his disciples. He showed himself to pretty much everybody, even Thomas, as he's doubted and he felt Jesus' wounds. Um, but they're here uh, at the sea, and uh, Peter decides to go back to his old life, what he was doing before Jesus met him. And uh, the, the people that are here, these are actually kind of his old fishing crew. So in Luke 5, when, when Jesus called them out, it was pretty much these same boys that were following them. Um, I think John might be the only one who wasn't there at the beginning. I could be wrong. And uh, it says that there's seven of them. There's one that's unknown. It's probably James because James was fishing with them before. I could be wrong about that as well. But it's his own fishing crew. Um, Peter says, like, let's go fishing. It's what we know what to do. Um, Jesus told them that he was going to send them, and he breathed on them his Holy Spirit in the chapter prior. But um, other than that, they don't really have clear direction yet. So they're just kind of in limbo, and um, Peter goes to what he knows best, um, that old life. And, and in his natural leader ways, his crew, they follow him. And so they're out there fishing, and they don't catch anything, just like when Jesus found them. They labored all night before Jesus told them to cast their nets and have abundance, right? Um, and so it's just a reminder that man's labor in the flesh, it bears little to no fruit, you know. Um, the power that lacks, that's given from God. If we just do stuff on our own efforts, um, the nets are empty. In verse 4, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus says to the children, or to them, children, have you any meat? 
essentially he's saying like i mean when you see someone fishing like did you catch anything and they answered no <laughs> and then he said cast your net on the right side of the ship and you shall find they cast their net therefore and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes um, how fruitful we we see like when god commands or directs like how much more we bear fruit when it's done in his leading in his direction um it's still up to the apostles it's still up to the disciples in this moment their responsibility to do that and to go forth in it but i think it's extremely practical in our christian walk as we're walking with the lord and seeking to bear fruit and please him um Verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved says to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat to him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And so I'm reminded of two things in this verse. Uh, one, how recognizable is God's work and his fruit by those who love him and are loved by him? You know, it's like when you see the Lord moving and producing that fruit, it's just recognized immediately. It's immediately recognized by John. He's like, dude, that's the Lord. But notice Peter. Um, Peter was the first one in Luke 5 that took the directions of Jesus to cast the, the, the net into the water. And all the fish that came to the net that um, he saw, it actually made him bow to the ground and tell the Lord to get away from him because he's a sinner. Like he knew in that moment his divine um, attributes and and here we see Peter doing this again following these instructions but he doesn't even notice that it's the Lord until John tells him it's the Lord um, it just makes me wonder why what is different about Peter now than Peter in Luke 5 when it was so easily recognized who he was but nonetheless we see Peter's zeal it's beautiful when he sees the work of the Lord he jumps in when he knows for a fact that the Lord's behind it and that is the Lord. He doesn't waste any time. He leaves the fish behind. He jumps right in the water. He swims towards his God, which is super rad. And the other disciples were in verse 8. Came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. As soon then as they came to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in bread. Jesus says to them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net not broken. Um, I don't know much about like the meaning of numbers. As I just said, like eight is the known to be like the number of new beginnings, right? Like number seven being the number of completion. Six, humanity. I think 13 is Satan or the devil. Uh, 153, some people say it's the number of the church. I can't like confirm or deny it. I haven't done my research, but it's an interesting thing to think about because if it is the number of the church, it's really cool that even John points out that the net, even though there are so many fish and the abundant fruit that the Lord bore um, and caught, there's no 
breakage in the net and held all the fish. And it just makes me think and like wonder and, and just think how safe we are in the Father's net. As his church, we're like so safe and secure in his hand. And just how beautiful that is to have such a perfect father that we can have such security with. Um, in this instance, I guess the fish are going to be eaten. So the, you know, like analogies kind of fall <laughs> apart. But still, it's kind of nice to think about. Uh, yeah. Simon Peter went up and drew the net. Simon's zeal once again just to like do what the Lord's asking him to do. And in verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then comes and takes the bread and gives them. And the fish likewise. Now this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Ozzy always tells me about this chapter and the first thing that he says, I mean, uh, this is Ozzy, he's my roommate. And uh, or two brothers in the Lord that live peaceably together. It's like oil dripping off of Aaron's beard. If any of you like don't know the Bible, it sounds a little weird, but it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> two brothers that live in peace. But when we talk about this chapter, he always talks about this moment. And he's like, man, if Jesus is perfect, he's resurrected from the dead, he's in his glorified state, just imagine how good that fish fry is. Like that is the perfect fish fry. And... Uh, it probably was, but what's cool is that Jesus is dining with them. Um, after all that had happened, he's just communion and fellowshipping with his followers, which is awesome. I just think that's so rad. Uh, it's interesting that they don't recognize him. Um, Mary didn't recognize him when she was at the tomb, and she was crying. She mistaked him as the uh, crypt keeper, the guy who worked the cemetery. Um, the, some people say there was like a supernatural veil over him that, that caused his disciples not to recognize him. Could have been the time of day with like the darkness of the fire. Um, but nonetheless, they, they knew who he was even though um, they didn't necessarily recognize his appearance. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. We're getting into what I really wanted to focus on today. That was just like the runner up. Um, really good application for us as Christians, for us as Jesus followers. But I think that the, the heart of the chapter is in the next section, in verse 15 on. Um, and it's their conversation over dinner. So when they had dined, in 15, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, love you, me, more than these. He says to him, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my lambs. He says to him again in the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me. He says to him, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my sheep. He says to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, love you me. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. So before this, um, if we consider Peter and his walk with Christ, 
from the moment that he saw that net first cast in the water and realized his divine nature, he fell on his knees and didn't even want to be in the presence of Jesus because of his sin. Like he was immediately presented with this perspective of who he was in the sight of God, like sinful, rebellious at nature and, um, and fallen and broken. Uh, Jesus stood him up and told him to follow him. That was the first thing he said, like, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. So in the midst of his weakness, he told him to follow him. And Peter, being the smart little cookie that he is, he followed him. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, Peter's is super kind of, the church kind of like comically pokes at him and, and, and uh, he's very relatable. I think we all have a little Peter in us, but during Jesus' whole ministry, and we're presented with this goofy character who is so zealous for the Lord and, and willing to do so much on his behalf, um, so much so that, like, when Jesus, before he went to the cross, he, like, cut a dude's ear off because he was willing to fight for his kingdom here and now. Um, but then we also see, you know, someone who walked on water and took that step of faith that also started drowning when he started to realize what he was doing and got his eyes off Jesus. Um, we also see someone that when Jesus started teaching these hard things like we, what we read in John 12 talking about like hating your life um, to build it up for eternity Jesus turned to his disciples and he said because uh, the crowds thinned he said like what are you, what are you guys going to do are you going to leave me too and I believe it was Peter that said uh, Lord where do we have to go you have eternal life and Jesus said, blessed are you because the Father revealed this to you. And then like immediately after, he told him about him going to the cross and he said, Lord, not so, not my way. That's not how I wanted things to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Um, calling what Peter said to be of the enemy. And so we're like meet, met with this guy who's extremely zealous but doesn't even know the difference between what God shows him and what the enemy shows him. Um, we're met with a guy of weakness who um, the Lord said that you'll deny me. And he said, no, I won't. And he did three times just like he said. And so we're, we're sitting here during this meal and he's breaking bed with him. This is the first time that that Jesus met with Peter or Pete one-on-one -on -one after his denial, after the three times. Um, people always say that Judas sold Jesus for a bag of coins. Um, Peter kind of sold Jesus for the warmth of a fire and the fear of the Jews. So when he's breaking bread with them, there's probably a lot of uh, unanswered questions or like, there's tension, right? Like when you have conflict with somebody, you can't just like keep on going. You work things out in process. And so Jesus is, is rolling up and he's asking me these questions. There's a lot of teaching on these. I'm sure super, like you, a lot of you guys are really familiar. Um, he essentially asks them if he loves them three times. But the first time he says, do you love me more than these? People ask like, what are the these? And it's not clear in this chapter, and I think John intended it that way. Some people say it's the other disciples that are dining with him. Some people say it's the fish that he brought in. 
Um, the bottom line is, is like, I think he's leaving it open because we have to ask ourselves, he's making it applicable to us. Like, what are, are these that Jesus is asking us of? Do you love me more than these? Because both would be super valid, right? Like, probably shouldn't love Jesus's followers more than you love him. And you probably shouldn't love the fish more than you love him. Like he is Lord. Um, he stopped at nothing to die for us because he loved us. And he requires that everything from us that we'll see that he's going to supply. The word love is agapeo, which is divine love. If you've spent any time in church, you probably know that. I Sometimes like to look at words, sometimes not. The word that Peter uses is phileo, which is, people say, is a lesser love. So is Peter not being able to go to God's level? Which I think is true, but we have to give Peter some credit. We know who he is. We know what he sees and what he thinks of Jesus. He loves Jesus. If anything, phileo is a very passionate love. It's a brotherly love. It's, uh, it's the strongest love that Peter is capable of giving Jesus. And Jesus is asking him if he loves him divinely. Afterwards, he says, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. No, actually, first he says, feed my lambs. Later on, he says, shepherd my sheep. And then he says, feed my sheep. Kind of look at that as a progression. We have the baby, which is the lamb. The baby grows up, you shepherd that sheep. And then you feed that sheep. So, I mean, it's really Jesus is calling him to his ministry here in the midst of his, his weakness. Um, three times Jesus says, do you agapeo me? Twice he says it. Every time Peter responds with, I phileo you. But he always responds with, he's no clown. He knows that God knows. He says, Lord, you know I phileo you. If he would have said that I agape you or agapeo you, how could he? He denied him three times. Like, He's giving him his, his all, his very best. His ins, he's met with his insufficiency. And it says on the third time that it grieved him that Jesus asked him a third time. And a lot of people say it's because when he asked him that third time, Jesus is love. He says, do, I, do you phileo me? He, you know, it's coming down to the earthly level that Peter is, Peter is on. Um, so people say that's why he's grieved. But John says he's grieved because he asked him three times. And I think that's reference to his denial. I think... Because Peter knows that Jesus knows all things, Jesus is letting him know, like, hey, this is truth. It's the same reason why Jesus asked the question in the first place. We know that Jesus knows all things before he doesn't need to ask anything. He's, he's trying to teach us something through his questions. Um, I heard a joke that illustrates this point. This first grade, it's his first day of class, and uh, he goes to school, right? And he comes back, it was math class, he comes back, mom's like, hey, how was your first day of class? First grade, how was it? The kid comes in, he goes, oh, it's absolutely awful. I hated it. That teacher is so dumb, she doesn't know anything. She's been studying math her whole life. She's a math teacher. I come into class and all she ever does is ask questions. What's two plus two? What's one plus one? She doesn't know anything, doesn't she know? And it's not that the teacher doesn't know, it's that oh, we're taught by questions, right? And that's, a, I mean, Jesus, I love, it's like my new favorite thing. Ozzy gets probably irritated at me because I'm like constantly asking him questions if he makes statements because I like want to, I want him, 
I not only do I want to like grow an understanding because I'm human, I have a three pound brain, um, but I'm also like, if he says something that I don't quite think is all there, like I'll ask him questions and try to see if he can come to that same point that I am um, just by asking those questions. And so we see Jesus here asking these questions. I think he's, he's teaching Peter in this moment. He's teaching Peter um, his weakness. He's teaching Peter this, this reality of where he is and where God is. Um, and so when he's asking him, do you love me? Peter's giving him his all. He's giving him the most amount of love that he's capable of giving him in his weakness and his flesh and his humanity. And Jesus is still meeting him in that and still calling him out of it to ministry, calling him out of it to feed his sheep. And so we're met in this moment with man's weakness and God still restoring it. It's really, this is the gospel, this whole chapter. It, like such a good, like, Jesus leading by example the gospel you know we're supposed to preach the gospel um, verbally and physically with our actions in 18 he says verily verily or truly truly I say to you when you were young you girded yourself and walked where you would but when you shall be old you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall gird you and carry you where you would not this he spoke signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he says to him, follow me. I'm going to finish the chapter real quick because we're going to come back and spend more time because we're going to close on that area. Um, But there's some cool things about the end of the chapter I want to get to. I just don't want that to be where we're left. So in 20, it says, Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrays you? Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, First off, how beautiful is it? That's John. John's writing about himself when he says, like, the disciple who Jesus loved. I love the Gospel of John, dude, because he wrote it in the chapter previous. It says, But these things I write to you in chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Like, John wrote this for our belief in Jesus Christ. not saying the other Gospels weren't, but you really see it true in the Gospel of John because every chapter is such a a testament of who Jesus is and who we are. Um, And John just had such a beautiful perspective of that. And, And in that, finding God's love, like his chief attribute, um, to write himself in his book as the disciple who Jesus loved. If only more of us soaked in that reality, you know, and in, in a right way, not in a, like a self-building um, way, but in just a God-worship way to know who we are, but yet know that we're so loved and valued. Like John just soaking in that reality every time he wrote about himself in this chapter, the one that Jesus loved, and that's John. He's writing about himself. So let's Let's write ourselves as that, the one who Jesus, Sam, the one who Jesus loved. Yeah, that's cool. Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Or essentially, what about him? After seeing John following them, after Jesus told Peter to follow him, Jesus says to him, if I will that he will come or tarry till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so, I mean, immediately after uh, Peter decides to follow Jesus, 
again. He's faced with his weakness again. Um, but it's, I'm thankful for it because in these weaknesses, he shows himself strong and we can learn from him. Um, oh, the Lord like convicts me so much of this. This is just, if only saints, if we could grasp this. So often we're focused on other people and what they're doing. Lord, what about him? What about what he's doing? And Jesus is just telling Peter, Peter, follow me. <laughs> I asked something of you. Don't worry about what I have for him. Just get your eyes on what I have for you and follow me. And we would be in a totally different place, I think, than what a lot of us are if we just focus on what the Lord asks of us instead of getting our eyes on everybody else. Um, we're held responsible for ourselves and our actions with that. We all have to come before God individually and have him, he's the judge. Not to say you shouldn't like restore brother and care for each other in that way, um, but just follow him and focus on that. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not to him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple which testifies of these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And so pretty much what we have going on is really refreshing in the sense that there's nothing new under the sun. What's happening today with God's word happened all the way back there when Jesus was appearing to his disciples. And it's, I think it's funny because I think about this. There's only seven dudes here, seven of Jesus' disciples, seven of his future apostles. One of these clowns was spreading rumors about God's word that wasn't true. And that's so often what we do. We take something that says and we just run with it. We start making assumptions and conclusions that isn't necessarily like just let the word of God be what the word of God is and I mean that's what we see like a rumor spread and John already writing his his uh, account his testimony is already having to write against false doctrine that's flooding in um, to us and it's just a, another testament of our weakness um, but in that John is writing this and he says I testify that these things that I wrote these are true and that there is many other things which Jesus did which if we should be written Every one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that should be written. Amen. And so it's so rad, this chapter in this uh, gospel, this account, it's a testimony. And we know in the Bible it says that the saints will overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. And what is our testimony? Our testimony is Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for our sins. And that's John's testimony here, and that's what he's given to us. And we know that it is true. It's an account. Um, it's truth we can hold on to and stand firm in. And I love it. His, his view of Jesus is so big and so broad that he's like, man, if only I could write the amount of rad stuff that this God did in my lifetime of being able to experience um, being physically with him. Not even the world could contain the amount of books and pages written. And that was like two years of spending with the guy. So imagine an eternity. Like some people are so worried about like heaven being boring, but like God is something to be held. And it's going to take an eternity to like experience that. So I'm very excited. But backing up and closing, 
because I think we're, is that an hour behind? It's an hour ahead? Okay, we're good, right? Because we usually go to like 15. Okay, cool. Backing up to the, oh, to the, the prophesying of Peter's death. That's so crazy. Okay, imagine God telling you how you're going to die and then telling you to follow him. That'd be something else. I mean, obviously, it's kind of in parable. We don't know if Peter really knew. I mean, knowing Peter, he probably didn't really know. Um, praise God that he was that way, because I'm that way for sure. But uh, it's just a reality, right? That, I mean, Jesus, is he just speaks truth. Um, and the reason why I ask that is because, I mean, that's exactly what Peter or Jesus does to all of us when he asks us to follow him. Like, he's given us eternal life by his death on the cross, um, but in doing so, he's telling us to die to self. You know, we're going to come back to John 12, but just, cra- like, imagine that craziness of, of Jesus saying, like, oh, Peter, this is how you're going to die. Just follow me. And in the midst of Peter's weakness, I mean, Peter is completely confronted with his inability and insufficiency as a human being to be all that he wants to be for God. And then with that, the gospel is proclaimed. Peter is the very reason why Jesus had to go to the cross, because he wasn't able to be as zealous as he wanted to be for God. He denied him three times. He sinned against him. He fell short. In Hebrews 4, it says this. This is another chapter that I've been really digging because it talks about rest, and I really like sleeping and resting. But in in verse 14, and that's not where the rest is. Read the chapter. Uh, He says, Seeing then, in Hebrews 4, 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we have not a high priest which is unable or cannot be touched with feeling of our weakness, but was in all points tempted like we are without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so this is exactly what we see displayed in Peter's walk. We see weakness, but we see a high priest who's able to sympathize with that weakness and call out despite that weakness. At Thursday night at 7.30, to plug it, I'm just kidding, we're studying through Exodus, and we're getting to the point um, of the different... Uh, the laws and also this different ceremonial laws like the the calling of the high priest and the the first sacrifices and stuff and and just going through it um with the with the men there we just talk about that service of the high priest like the the high priest is one that sanctifies himself he comes out from the people first off like he's a person he can sympathize he knows the weakness of the people and he comes out he sanctifies himself he has to do all these different crazy things that thankfully we don't have to do anymore. And then he comes before God for the people and he sacrifices for the people to God for sins, for peace, for all these things. He's the one that goes in the Holy of Holies. It was such a dicey job that they had to tie a rope to him because if he was in the Holy of Holies and not without sin or not sanctified properly, he could drop dead and then they have to pull him out. He would have like little chimes that they could hear him. Um, and so this job of a high priest is coming before God for somebody. He's a mediator. And so in Hebrews 4, we're told that Jesus is that high priest for us. 
once and for all. He's not only that, it's he's also that sacrifice that makes us clean um, before a holy God because we have that sin. Um, and we, we, when we're reading Exodus, we think about the sacrifices. The, the high priest puts his hand on the lamb, on the bullock and things because it's a transferring of sin. It's putting his sin on the bullock. It's putting the people's sin. And on the cross, it's exactly what Jesus did. He took our sin. He took our weakness. He took our inability. And with that, he came out from the people. He was a person fully human, able to sympathize with our weakness. And agape us, even when we could only phileo him. No matter how zealous we wanted to be like Pete. I think Pete was probably one of the most zealous people I know. And so the gospel is shown in John 21. And in that, we're going to close with John 12 again. Because this is for us. And it's considering Christ. Actually, why I do this, can I get a couple of, couple of men to pass out the elements? We're going to do communion. Rad. I love doing it. We did this uh, last Thursday to... Me and Ozzy will just do it randomly at home. It's like a, such a beautiful thing. You know, I love it that we don't, aren't given direction on how often, just so often as you do this in remembrance of me. I know people that, um, brothers and sisters, thank you, dude, that do it every day or every night, especially when they're suffering with some sin that they can't let go of, this like dirt or vomit that they keep returning to. Um, they take the Lord's Supper every night. They spend time in consideration of Christ on the cross for their sins. Um, as a means to just keep that perspective while the Lord's cleaning them. Sanctification is a process. But in John 12, <clears throat> actually before we go there, the reason why I wanted to read this is because I've been thinking a lot about backsliding. It's a term that's like we coin and use in the church as somebody that was once walking with the Lord and has fallen away or that's struggling in a certain way, like, help me, bro, like, I'm, I'm backsliding and stuff. And um, it's seen as kind of a, a, I mean, it's a really negative thing in the church. Um, I'm a product of backsliding, <laughs> for sure. If we think about the term backsliding, we think about climbing. And we could consider, like, rock climbing or climbing a hill or something like that. Um, it's the concept that you're going, you're sliding backwards, right? Which is bad. You want to be at the top. So you're like sliding backwards. And so we're, we like, we like always demonize it. Um, but one thing that we have to keep in consideration is like backsliding is uh, assuming the truth that you're still climbing. You're still taking steps up. You're not turning around. You're not walking down. You're still, you know, you backslid. Okay, like big whoop. And so we consider this, we're looking at Peter, we're looking at him in his backslidden state. And I think that Hebrews 4 points to that backslidden state and always seeks restoration. It always seeks a way up. But not only that, is it provides a way up the, the climb, way up the mountain. I mean, I've backslidden so much that I feel like I picked the wrong side of the hill to climb, like the muddy side or something. And I think that's like, some of you might sympathize with that. And uh, I think that's also the lie, that we think that some side of the hill is easier to climb up than the other. But the thing is, is life's super hard, and we're all faced with the same slippery slope of our inability that we're going to slide down. Um, it's only when we realize that we have to be carried up 
that we start to see victory in that climb. That Jesus made it to the top and he's given us that access. And in that, I've just run into so many brothers that are, you know, they, what they say is black, backslidden, but like that old man is put to death. And in Christ, we're given that new nature. We're given that we're born again, right? All things are old or the old has passed. All things become new. And so um, I think we give too much power in the flesh, too much power in the backslidden state and not enough power in Christ and what he did and, and that display of, of strength amongst weakness um, that he displays to Peter. And so again, in twelve twenty three, in closing, Jesus answered them saying, Thou art come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now this is my, now this, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Save me from this hour before this cause I come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. There's so much in this passage that we could dive into, but the point that I want to make is that nothing grows unless it dies. In that sense, in the sense of wheat falling, he says that if you're loving this world, you're loving your life, you're losing it. Um, this is true prosperity gospel. I believe in, I, I believe in the prosperity gospel, um, but I just think that me and Joel Olstein's perspective of prosperity is a little different. Um, it says that if you hate your life in this world, it will be counted for eternity. We were told that in the Lord's presence and at his right hand is pleasures forevermore. That's where prosperity is held. It's held with him. And it, with that truth, it should be so easy for us to drop everything, right? But yet we're still faced with Peter. We're still faced with the Peter in us, <laughs> the inability and weakness. And so in that, he provides that way out. He, he just asks us to follow, to believe. It starts all where it began for, for Peter. In the midst of his backsliding, he says, follow me. That's, it's, a, it's that simple. Follow me. I made a way. So, yeah, we can uh, take a moment wherever you are with the Lord and just uh, praise him for the sins that are covered and thank him for providing the way. And uh, we can take the, of the bread whenever you're ready. And also the drink, too. By doing so, we're professing that Christ is our strength to our weakness. It's that simple. New beginnings. That's what this is all about. 
God gave new beginnings. I need new beginnings. I need I need new beginnings this morning before I left my house. He's just like, his grace is so abundant. And we grew in grace today. That's cool. I love doing that. Grace is my favorite word right now. Um, let's pray in closing. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for dying on the cross, for being our strength, for meeting us in that weakness, um, and for being that tender help, Lord. Peter crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified the way you were. And that strength, that power, that boldness, it came through you, Lord, the supplying of your spirit, your equipping um, of his sanctification. Lord, you made him a faithful witness, perfect in your eyes, and that was purely done at the cross, Lord. The same man who denied you three times, who sold you for the warmth of a fire, um, you deemed as worthy of your grace and gave him that. And he was able to glorify you in that beautiful death display and, and receive life eternal. So would you sanctify our hearts, Lord? May we be empty vessels for you, um, dead to self, alive in you and in the identity that you give us. Help us to be the valued creations that you created us to be, to, to have your kingdom and this new nature be a, a present reality here and now. Um, and that conquering of sin, that conquering of weakness is done already. Um, I thank you so much. I thank you for the grace and mercy that you have already given us, Lord. I don't ask for it. I thank you for it um, because you've already given it. And I just pray that, uh, that you would come soon, Lord. We face this awkward reality of in your kingdom, but also waiting it. And we're just so stoked to party with you in heaven. It's going to be a big one, and you are a big God. It's going to take us an eternity to behold your beauty, and we're so looking forward to it. I just pray that you would bless my family here, that you would, uh, that you would be the strength to their weakness, that they would be lights for you, and that uh, you would just go before them, Lord, and finish the good work that you started. In Jesus' name, just keep us from the enemy. Amen. Cool. God bless, guys.